the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. May His grace and His blessing be with us now and unto the age of all ages. Amen. I greet you, dear brothers and sisters, on this auspicious day. Today we celebrate the feast of the first miracle that our Lord performed at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And undoubtedly, this is the most famous wedding in all of human history because our Savior blessed it with his presence. Every wedding is a joyful event, but weddings in the ancient East were particularly joyful, perhaps in large part because of all of the spiritual preparation that was involved. It is a sad reality in our day and age that many marriages fail and end in separation and in divorce because oftentimes there is little or no spiritual preparation beforehand but rather only a focus on flowers and reception halls and hairstyles and makeup. In ancient days there was however a great deal of spiritual preparation. The bridegroom and the bride fasted the entire day before their marriage. And they would confess their sins, as was prescribed for the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, in the book of Leviticus. And the bride especially had to prepare for the day of her marriage. She would veil herself from head to foot, symbolizing her purity and her subjection to her husband as she waited for him to arrive and commence the marriage in the soft glow of sunset. This is how we understand the context of the parable of the five wise and five foolish virgins. The bridegroom was delayed into the watches of the night because he was supposed to arrive at sunset because this is when weddings during those times would take place. In many cases, the festivities of the marriage would last for seven straight days. And in today's Gospel reading from John chapter 2, we encounter the Holy Theotokos, the Mother of God, St. Mary, in the midst of these wedding festivities at a particular wedding in Cana of Galilee that possibly took place around the year 30 AD. And in fact, in this story, we have the only time in all of the Holy Scripture where the Holy Virgin Mary is introduced before her son. Perhaps she arrived early at this wedding. Perhaps she was there because this wedding was the wedding of one of her relatives. But either way, it is clear that she arrived first. In any event, at some point in this wedding feast, the wine ran out. And this was quite embarrassing and mortifying to the bridal couple and to their families because the ancient Eastern people were entirely devoted to hospitality, especially after their forefather Abraham received Christ and two angels at Mamre and gave an enduring example of true hospitality. Even in the New Testament, the Holy Apostle teaches in his epistle to the Hebrews, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. 
as we imagine the mortification and the embarrassment the newlyweds and their families must have experienced, it is good for us to meditate on a perfectly reasonable question. Why did the wine run out? And most likely it was because our Lord arrived at this wedding with His disciples after they had been traveling together for three days and over 90 miles. The disciples were understandably hungry and thirsty, and so wine was the perfect answer to their tiredness and their thirst. And so the wine supply gave out. And one of the most amazing things that happened at this wedding is that the master of the ceremonies, the one who was responsible for the wine supply, was not the first person to notice the shortage of the wine, but rather it was the Holy Mother of God who noticed the shortage. And from this we learn the ever-important lesson that our Mother, the Holy Virgin Mary, is aware of our needs even before we are aware of our needs. Our pure Mother intercedes on our behalf to help us gain what we need even before we ourselves realize what those needs are. While the Master of the Ceremony and the guests were oblivious to the shortage of wine, St. Mary already recognized the need and brought the need before her Son. And whether we realize it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, she, as a tender mother, is likewise working continuously to bring our needs before her Son. In many respects, we are all as infants in the arms of our loving mother. Imagine an infant, a small child who cannot yet express his need. He may be sick or in pain, or hungry, so he cries, and he cries in anguish and frustration. And the mother does all that she can in order to be tender to her child, but she knows her limits. She knows her limits. And in such a circumstance, she may very well take the child to the doctor. The child doesn't know that he needs a doctor so the mother substitutes her judgment for the judgment of the child because she knows what is best for him, because she, like no other, understands his needs. And in the exact same way, dear brothers and sisters, our pure mother, the Holy Virgin Mary, understands our cries of anguish and frustration. She knows our underlying needs better than we ourselves know them. She knows that we need the true physician, our Lord Jesus Christ, and so she connects us with her divine Son. And it's important to note that she herself is not the doctor. She herself is not the doctor. She does not bestow upon us salvation, but rather she connects us with the Savior who came to heal us as the true physician of our sinful nature and grant us health through union with Him. And this is precisely what she did at that wedding feast. 
When she realized the shortage of wine, she immediately brought the concern to her son with a very simple prayer. They have no wine. And her statement revealed not only that she believed in her son's power to do something, but that she wanted him to fix this awkward situation. And our Lord answered her with a commonly misunderstood and underappreciated response. He said to her, Woman, what is that to me? My hour is not yet come. And I say these words are commonly misunderstood because in modern language, using the word woman to address a female can be seen oftentimes as an insult. But when our Lord uses that word in the gospel to describe his mother, he is actually addressing her with great respect. He is actually saying to her a word that is like madam, a word of great respect. And more importantly, we notice how our Savior says to his mother, my hour is not yet come. And this is interesting because this is not the only time in the gospel in which our Lord speaks about his hour. In fact, many times in the gospel, the word hour is used to describe his passion and his death on the cross. When Judas betrayed Christ, for example, our Lord told him, but this is your hour and the powers of darkness. And a few hours before that happened, when our Lord instituted the mystical supper and gave us his body to eat and his blood to drink, he prayed saying, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. And so when our Savior told his mother at the wedding feast, my hour is not yet come, he was telling her that the hour for him to be revealed to all as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that hour had not yet come. And if today we were given poetic license to expand a little bit on what our Lord was saying to his mother that day, it would be something like this. Our Lord would be saying to his mother, My dear mother, do you realize that you are asking me to proclaim my divinity to appear before the world as the Son of God through my works and miracles? The moment, dear mother, that I do this, I begin the road to the cross. The moment I do what you're asking me to do, I begin the road to the cross. Now, people know me as the son of a humble carpenter. But if I do what you are asking me, dear mother, they will know me as the son of God. And I will take my first step towards Golgotha. Is this your will? Dear mother, is it your will that I begin my journey to the cross, which will end in my self-sacrifice for the salvation of the world? And with these words, our Savior was not simply asking the Holy Virgin Mary whether or not he should perform a miracle. He was asking her if it was time for him to begin the long and agonizing path towards the cross. He was telling her essentially that if he performed, if he transformed 
the water into wine today, then someday soon wine would be transformed into his blood. That's what he was telling her essentially on that day. And we know just how the Holy Virgin Mary answered, just as she manifested complete obedience and submission when the Holy Archangel Gabriel gave her the choice of being the mother of God, she likewise today manifested complete synergy and cooperation with the will of God as well. Here in John chapter 2, which interestingly is the last time she speaks in all of the Holy Scripture. This is the last time we hear St. Mary's words in the Gospel. Here in John chapter 2, she chose not to utter a single word to her son. She did not answer him a single word. But instead, with great faith and submission, she turned to the servants of the wedding feast and told them, whatever he says to you, do it. What an amazing display of faith and obedience. She could have said to her son, let us delay the path of the cross a little bit. Please spare me from the sword that is going to pierce my own soul. Please let us enjoy this feast today and tomorrow we will worry about the cross. She could have said that, but she did not. Instead, with complete silence, she simply said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. And then as we heard, the water pots were filled and brought to our Savior. And what happened next was miraculous. In the famous lines of the English poet Richard Crashaw, the unconscious waters saw their God and blushed. The unconscious waters saw their God and blushed and became into, they were transformed into pure wine. And this was the first miracle, the first sign in the gospel according to St. John that our Lord performed. And how beautiful is it that the first, in the first sign, he assists at a wedding. But by the last of the signs, he is summoning Lazarus from the dead. Now, couldn't our Lord have simply created wine from nothing, just as he created the universe from nothing? Of course, he could have. But he wanted to teach us today the important lesson of cooperating with him and offering ourselves to be transformed. Christ did not allow the servants to remain passive while he worked the miracle, but he insisted that the servants work and cooperate with him. And in the same way, we must work with God for the sake of our salvation because good sons and daughters always submit to and work with their Father. And so thus today, through the intercession of the Holy Virgin Mary, our Lord Jesus Christ revealed his divinity to the whole world as a son of God and began his journey to Golgotha, and as we heard at the end of today's gospel, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And I want to tell you, dear brothers and sisters, and forgive me for taking a little bit longer than I wanted to, but this is really beautiful and important for us to understand. I want to tell you that this first miracle changed everything, including the relationship 
between our Savior and his mother. Until this point, our Lord was just the son of the carpenter and Mary. But once he revealed his divinity in this miracle, she became not only the mother of Jesus, but she became the mother of all of humanity. If Christ, by manifesting his divinity, became the new Adam, then St. Mary today becomes the new Eve. If Christ, through his life-giving work on the cross, became the universal head of mankind, then the Holy Virgin Mary becomes the universal mother for all of mankind. And we're going to see that all of this is fulfilled three years after today's wedding feast. Three years later, as our Savior hangs on the cross. From the time of that first miracle until his crucifixion, our Lord had performed many miracles, including transforming wine into his blood. And for this, he is now, three years later, hanging on the cross and being put to death. And as he is hanging on the cross, he gazes down at his mother, who faithfully interceded that he should manifest his divinity and begin the path of our salvation at this wedding feast. And once again, as he's hanging on the cross and he looks at her, once again he addresses her in the same exact way, and he addresses her as woman. Once again, he calls her woman. And there is a beautiful relationship here back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God assures mankind, Adam and Eve, that there's going to be enmity between the woman and the serpent. When our Lord manifests his divinity at this wedding feast, he calls her woman. And when he is hanging on the cross, he calls her woman to tell us that she is the woman in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And he also addresses the man who was standing next to her at the foot of the cross. He first says to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And then looking at that man, John, his beloved disciple, he says to him, Son, behold thy mother. And how beautiful it is that our Lord did not address John by his name. He didn't call John by his name and tell him, John, this is your mother. Because if he had done that, that would have meant that Mary was now the mother of John and only John. But our Lord purposefully leaves John anonymous. He addresses John only as a, a son, as a disciple, to tell us that every son of God, every disciple of God has now Mary as his mother. People today oftentimes get into silly debates about whether St. Mary had children after Christ, and the very simple answer is yes. St. Mary had children after Christ. Physically, she only had one child, and that was Christ, physically. But spiritually, from the, this moment on the cross, and from what happened three years earlier, spiritually, she has many more children all of the sons and daughters of God who are his disciples. And we will talk more about that, God willing, tomorrow, because tomorrow's gospel deals with motherhood and discipleship. I wish you all a blessed feast. May God grant us all to appreciate the beauty 
of this feast and the beautiful messages in this feast. To him be all glory, to the all-holy Father, to the all-holy Son, and to the all-holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.